adjust your tongue box because the Disenfranchised Podcast is on the air. That's right. We're that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. Joining me, as always, the man who is hungry like the wolf, it is my co-host, Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Hello, Stephen. How's, How's it going, going? No, I it, asked you first. You Well, we kind of asked each other at the same time. Um, well, but I'm saying at the same time, three, two, one. I'm, I'm doing, doing right. great. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that was great. That worked out very good well. Job. Yeah, good job, yeah. everybody. High five. Let's pack it in. Right on. We can all go home. Well, that's our that's our episode, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Didn't even say what movie we're covering, but yeah. Uh, Brett, unfortunately, is lost in a labyrinth uh, that can hold no evil. So we hope for his speedy return one of these days. Uh, but until such a time as that happens, Tucker... You and I are here to talk about a very special movie. It is. It is. What movie are we talking about today? We are talking about Barbarella. 1968's Barbarella, directed by Roger Vadim and starring Jane Fonda, John Philip Law, Anita Pallenberg, Milo O'Shea, Marcel Marceau, Claude Dauphin, uh, David Hemmings, Ugo Tagnazi, like just what a cast. Tucker, what what a picture. Yeah, dude. Agreed. This thing is fucking wild. This movie is like if Flash Gordon was a sexploitation movie, it yeah. it it would be this. I agree. And I, I kind of dig agree. that. I kind of dig that. Um well, I kind of have a history with it. I don't want to really reveal how I feel about the film until I kind of go through my history with this movie. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's I you know, it's 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 something. It's something very unique. And see, I don't have any history with this movie. So, it this was a this was a first time experience for me. Um oh, nice. I I do want to say we are covering this a a movie based on a comic book about a woman in space uh because in theaters this weekend is a movie uh, based on a comic book about uh, whim- a woman in space, uh, the Marvels out this weekend, and so to because oh, of that, I want to see that. Yeah, because of that, we are go... talking Barbarella. Yeah, I might, I might go to the movie theater to see the Marvels. Uh, that's, okay. I mean, I haven't been to see a Marvel movie at the theater since Endgame, just because like I care enough about them to watch them, just not enough to like go watch them at the theater but the Doctor marvels i'm way into because i like i like oh i saw i did i i did want to see multiverse of madness i would have had i been able to but other than that um you know or you know that the spider-mans the most recent spider-mans i would sure, have sure but the majority of the stuff they put out uh like i want to see it but i don't really care to see the theater but the marvels like i really like that cast and i really like all of those characters i really like the miss marvel series and that one was I, good that one was very good i really just like uh homegirl who's for some reason her name is escaping me the gal who plays uh captain marvel um brie larson thank you You're i welcome. had brie i was trying to say allison brie but that's the gal from community correct who's married to <clears throat> dave franco yeah but uh brie larson i i just i like her entire vibe i do too i dig her yeah she's cool mm-hmm. And I think she's really cool as Captain Marvel because, like, 
her vibe isn't really like a superhero vibe at all. Mm -hmm. And I think it really works for the character. And I, I really liked uh, Captain Marvel. And I, like I said, I like Miss Marvel. I like the things that went on with, with uh, Rambo's daughter mm -hmm. there in WandaVision. Yeah. So they're, I'm, they're bringing Tiana Paris back for this one too. So that's rad. Yeah, dude. I'm excited to see how it goes. I am sick of hearing that, seeing that trailer though, because just like every trailer that I hate that has come out in the last five years, it's a popular song from the nineties or early two thousands, mm -hmm. but like with in a minor a powerful, key? like symphonic score behind it. And this time it's fucking intergalactic by the mm -hmm. beastie boys. And it's the most laughably stupid use of a pop song with an orchestra behind it it's so fucking stupid didn't that one get used in guardians 3 like didn't they probably. use it in guardians 3 maybe -bly. maybe -bly. maybe -bly. i i think God. it might i, I kind of want to i'm i kind of want to look now just to i cannot sure. wait until that trend passes because i'm sure the first couple times i was like that's kind of a neat idea yeah, but boy, do I fucking hate it now. Every time a blockbuster trailer comes on, I'm like, "What fucking '90s song are we gonna rip out of the grave uh -huh. and like completely sodomize?" Yep, in front of all these people. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, it's it is absolutely that that is absolutely what it's become. And like again, the first couple times it worked, but now it's all they do. So, yep. when it's every square on your bingo card, yeah, I'm it, stop. It, it feels like it's the only way they know how to do it, and that's unfortunate. It truly is. Well, it's a it numbers really game, Stephen, and you know that's what's in now. Oh, I know. I wish it weren't, but it is. Yeah, well, this so. is kind of spicy. I didn't expect it to have a little bit of spice to it. What? What's what's that? That beer that you the, were talking about? Yeah. Oh, it does. Okay. Orange peel and holiday slices, size spices. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt with that, but like I've, I've, I'd taken small sips of it and it was very citrusy, but then I kind of took a big gulp of it and I felt like the cinnamon kind of spicy sort of Christmas beer sort of thing. I've got a whiskey that has some of, some of those kind of spicy notes to it. It's the Indian whiskey that my partner got me for my birthday. Which I don't hate, but I'm very particular about how it's used. I don't like sure. a lot of it. Sure. Like, that's why I bought the holiday white ale instead of the the seasonal, like, the regular-ass middle-of-the-road Sam Adams winter beer. Because that's right. just, like, beer, Christmas, like, potpourri. Like, it tastes like yeah. potpourri smells. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, it's not for me either. Would rather, would rather not. Yeah. Um, but anyway. But yeah, Barbarella. Barbarella. So yeah, what is your history with Barbarella, Tucker? Well, Stephen, as when I was a young warthog, or uh, as others might say, when I wore a younger man's clothes, um, I was probably about 16 or 17 when I saw this movie. And this was kind of when I was first getting into movies i was becoming mm -hmm. a, a film fan it was becoming a, a a big big hobby and interest for me and i saw this um it was another one that i saw on um one of the the free weekends that you'd get for like hbo um showtime and stuff if you had cable sometimes they'd give you a preview weekend where you could yep. access the hbo channels and stuff 
HBO Showtime, Cinemax, all the time. Yeah, Disney Channel. This yeah. was on one night, and I'm like, "What the fuck is this?" And I put it on, and I'm like, "Sweet Jane Fonda, yeah, I'm way into that." And then, like, she starts kicking all her gear off, and I'm like, "Sweet Jane Fonda, I'm way into this." <laughs> yeah, way into this. It, okay, can I can I interrupt you to ask you a question? Because I legitimately want to know the answer to this. Go ahead. Yeah. Is Jane Fonda the most beautiful woman to ever exist? Uh, she's because up there. I she's think one of them. a case can be made, honestly. And it's not it's not just that she's pretty or that uh, her her body is aesthetically pleasing. Um, Although to be clear, it is. All of these things are true. I'm just saying what really seals the deal is for me her voice. I really love her voice. Mm. She has a very unique nobody talks like she does she has it's kind of like she doesn't sound like christopher walken but it's kind of a christopher walken thing where like you don't know what that accent is and nobody else sounds like that right and i just i love her voice and i love the way that she talks and yeah like i've had a big crush on her since i was a kid but like one of my mom's favorite movies is nine to five which is mm. ironic because she's a conservative but um yeah yeah interesting uh, yeah <laughs> See, my parents, on principle, didn't like Jane Fonda because of the whole Vietnam thing. Like, my dad was in the military around Vietnam and just, nope, could not, could not sanction Jane Fonda. And so I never watched anything Jane Fonda until I got older. And there's still a lot of Jane Fonda I have to catch up on. But yeah, I was watching this and I legitimately had the thought, like, is she the most beautiful woman to ever exist? Because I think we could make a case for that. I really do. And she's, she's such a delight like even Mm. now Mm -hmm. like i don't watch a lot of stuff that she's in i watched some grace and frankie and that was really really good her such a fun show uh, her and fucking um lily tomlin uh, yes her and lily tomlin are just are great together like i say nine to five like they've done some other things together too like i'm pretty sure the two of them presented with dolly at like either the Oscars or the Golden Globes a couple of years ago. And it was fucking Probably. great. It was fucking Dude, I great. Love, I love all three of them, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of mm-hmm. feels like, like, um, uh, oh, fuck. I just. You're having just, a really hard time tonight. I am. I'm sorry. So it's, it's Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are like the core of that group. Mm hmm. And Dolly's just kind of like the one that comes over. She's still as much part of the group, mm-hmm. but she's she like they live together, but she like lives a couple houses down. You know what I mean? Sure. That's the yeah. dynamic of that friendship, I feel like. Yeah. And like I say, like she's still such a delight. I've seen so many interviews with her on late night and stuff mm-hmm. and uh, YouTube videos, people interviewing her. And she's just fan fucking test 80 years old. She's lived a whole like, ass life too. Like she's lived a whole attack, ass dude. life. Yeah. She can like, still get it too. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. She's she not, not unattractive. Yeah. Still at, at in her eighties. Like, yeah, she could get it. She doesn't want it to be fair, but she could, no. she could get it. No, she does in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, when Eddie Murphy saying those notorious words, my girl likes to party all the time. Uh, he, he could have been singing about Barbarella. And she was talking about he was talking about Barbarella, yeah. So uh so so yeah, so you this is a formative formative movie for for Baby Tukey. So I saw this film 
And this was one of my first experiences, known experiences, with uh, Dino De Laurentiis mm-hmm. in the 60s. My second and favorite Dino De Laurentiis experience that I've had from the 60s is a little movie called Danger Diabolique. A uh, future episode of this podcast, Danger Diabolique. Oh, I can't fucking wait. I love that movie. And fun fact, um, some of the same sets from Danger Diabolique were used in this film, along with uh, a, a, one of the major of the actors. Cast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like uh, the guy who plays the angel, Pygar, is mm-hmm. is the title character, Diabolique. So, yeah. He is. And he's so, you wouldn't recognize him in Danger Diabolique. That's what I've heard. Yeah. He's, he's just got the black like black as midnight hair and he's like this like sexy spy dude yeah yeah which are the best he dudes lives, are the he sexy lives spy underground dudes. he lives in this underground lair with a spinning bed that's like money all over it and stuff hell yeah yeah and he drives a really cool car and he wears like a mask that i'm pretty sure he almost died a few times wearing because there's no <laughs> way he could breathe in it like probably yeah the way they made those movies back then yeah probably yeah yeah man they didn't give two shits about nothing nope nope get it done figure it it out get it done yep man actor safety what the fuck is that who cares not hollywood producers i really liked this film when i first saw it because i'd never seen anything like it before Mm -hmm. ever and I've never seen, I haven't seen it since until I watched it a couple hours ago. Right. And there are three things I remembered from this film when mm-hmm. I originally watched it. I remember the opening scene. Uh, kind of hard to forget <laughs> that. Let me just and say, I had never the, seen this movie before, but I had watched the opening scene once or twice. My my best friend when I lived in Washington was the 10-year-old girl that lived next door to me. Okay. I was home all the time. She was home all the time. We were best friends. Makes I don't know sense. what to tell you. Sure. Um, but she really liked Ariana Grande. And like. That tracks. Uh, we were watching some of her music videos one day. And I was like, she's doing a Barbarella. She's doing the thing. Because she, she has a whole music video where she's basically doing the opening credit scene from Barbarella. Except I'm sure with more clothes. Yes. Yes. Much more clothes. Yes. Yeah. Um, for many yeah. reasons. So I remembered that. Mm-hmm. I remembered that there was a shirtless angel guy. Mm-hmm. And I remember fucking chiseled specimen specimen of a man. I remembered the proper and refined way to make love, Stephen, which is to take a pill and close your eyes and put your hold hands out your together. hands. Yep. I have referenced that so many times in the last 20 years. Can <laughs> I so many times? Can I tell you how glad I am that we actually see what that looks like and how that works? Mm-hmm. Homeboy's hair afterwards. Boy, yeah. she took him on a ride, dude. They get a blowout. They basically <laughs> yeah, they, they stand there, they stare at each other, and they get a blowout. Um, That's how that works. A a secret blowout. Mm-hmm. Because everything that happens in that scene and having to do with that dude is secret. He has a secret radio. His key is secret. If you watch watch that scene and pay attention, every that's the only adjective he uses. <laughs> like everything is secret. That tracks, yeah. That is fucking wild, man. 
that oh god this movie is so fucking wild the the production value on this thing is in for a 19 for a late 60s movie for a late 60s b movie there's nothing like this man it is so good yeah like so good so i hadn't seen it like i say for about 20 years Mm -hmm. uh and i I still really like it. And I really appreciate it, but I found myself very bored this time around. The pacing is grueling. I'll just I say, mean, uh, yeah. I mean, like Jane Fonda is a delight to watch in this movie, but Correct. there's sometimes where she's not really doing much for a long time. And you're just like, boy, it's, I I think I need to look at my phone for see what's going on on Instagram. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? No, you're no, you're absolutely right. Like the the pacing in this movie is absolutely excruciating. Like it's so slow and you're just kind of yep. like like they could have trimmed a good 10 minutes off this movie just by like tightening some of those sequences. But I mean, also this is the 60s and again, the production design is really cool. Even in those scenes where they've got the blue screen back there and it looks like they're just showing like deleted footage from an Antonioni movie or something like yeah. with all the like blobs and bubbles and shit. Like, I think that looks great with her like fading in and out of it. I think mm-hmm. that, that that's a that's in camera and like she's obviously yeah. like coming in and out of a curtain or whatever, but it's seamless. It looks great. It looks it, no, that's the that's just it. It looks fucking cool. And like this movie to hear Roger Vadim talk about it, like he wanted this to be visual spectacle above anything else. So he was not really concerned with any political messaging, which is apparent in, in the film. And I think it's something that kind of rubbed Fonda the wrong way. Um, which I, you know, I don't really understand, but she's, she's a smart lady. So like, like I, I, I don't, I don't get it, but like, that's valid, whatever. She did know. not enjoy making this movie for a number of reasons. Uh, which we can get into later. Or we can get into now. I don't really care. But like she did not like making this movie. But I think in I think and that was I think maybe more of a retrospect thing. I think as she was making it like because the the, the character is played as an innocent, like as someone who was just born without like the stigma of sex or anything like that. So there's not like that. And, and, and in that way, the film is kind of a satire. But the satirical element is minimal at best yeah, that's not what that's this movie it's, is it's a harm it's a harmless little movie like it's not yeah. something to be like having political or social discussions about it's no. a silly little fucking movie like it doesn't matter this yeah, is it doesn't like matter. the textbook definition of camp absolutely yeah steven are you uh oh you're not i thought you were drinking a v8 energy there no i'm drinking a topo chico uh strawberry hibiscus oh that's fun a hard seltzer, as it were. Oh, hard which spot, this is dude. this is what I'm been replacing beer with is. Yeah, you got it, man. There's no zero calories, dude. Yeah, like well, 100 calories per can, but like no fat, low sodium, barely any sugar, like, and it tastes good. So yeah, it's not bad. But anyway, yeah, that's a trifle of a movie. It's not. It's nothing to get upset over. But like I it, say, Jane Fonda, like you know. Do your thing, girl. Like you were there. I wasn't there. So whatever. Right. And I mean, this is so this is an interesting let's let's get into the Fonda of it for for a second, if we can. Because mm-hmm. this is kind of an interesting time in her career. So she's still Indeed. 
fairly new on the scene. Like I think she started, she starts making movies in the fifties. No, her first movie is 1960. Yeah. I mean, she had, she was a big deal by this point though, because she has, she had done, um, what was that damn movie? Um, shit. What movie am I thinking of? Cat Baloo? No. Walk on the Wild Side? In the Cool of the Day? Sunday in New York? Circle of Love? Uh, no. See, I was thinking they shoot horses, don't they? But it was after. That's a couple years after. Yeah. It's one year after, but yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's her next movie. Right. I thought it was before that. No, but But yeah, I mean, she, she had had some, she was a name people knew who she was when she this is this is the sex kitten stage of her career she makes three movies with her husband at the time roger vadim uh Mm -hmm. the first one they make shortly after they get married with vadim's ex-wife bridget bardot um whose character was based on by the way right in fact it was also an amazing uh if you like 60s french pop like check out bridget bardot she's got some great songs fuck yeah bridget i I mean and her movies are also phenomenal she does a cover of suzanne uh Mm. by uh leonard cohen that is it's all in french but it's oh it's amazing it's great um yeah right on but sorry go ahead no, um, but she does. Uh, so the first film they do together is Circle of Love. And that is uh, Vadim's film. The promotional material for that included a eight story billboard of Fonda naked uh, to promote the movie. Nice. So there was that. The second film they do together is The Game is Over. Um, which nude photos from the closed set managed to leak to the tabloids. Uh, so that was like, so Fonda has is like two for two on sex scandals within her husband's movies. This is mm-hmm. the third one and final one that they make together. And I think after this, her career kind of pivots away from the sex kitten stuff into the more political arena that she would occupy in the seventies. The next year is they who shoot horses. Don't they two years later, she wins her first Oscar for Clute Um, Steelyard blues and a doll's house in 73. Like a doll's house is just like a a phenomenal Ibsen film. Uh, She gets married to politician Tom Hayden during that time. Um, Like her and Vadim, I think divorce in 64. 465 maybe mm-hmm. uh or no it would be no it would be like maybe 72 maybe uh because they were still married when they made this movie obviously um yep. but like she and so she becomes a lot more politically active um and like looking at the the relationship section of her imdb page is just like a veritable who's who of like 60s and 70s personas um, I think she even told Andy Cohen that the one regret that she had, the, the one person she regretted not being in a relationship with was Marvin Gaye. <laughs> she was like, he asked, I wanted to, but I was married. And so I said, no, which I respect. No, but I don't know if, I mean, I'm a heterosexual man and I don't know if I would have been able to say no to Marvin Gaye. So like she's, well, she's he, he's, he's constantly, uh, uh, prompting us to get it on exactly constantly um 
I mean, look, he can feel it rising. Um, trying to hold back that feeling. You can only hold back that feeling for so long. Um, and apparently Jane Fonda said that when, uh, she found out that when he died, he had a picture of her on his refrigerator. Oh, I mean, who I, everybody should have a picture of Jane Fonda on the refrigerator though. I I should actually, you're right. I need to, I need to get on that. I need to fix that. Right on that. (laughs) Right. Um, but no, like, um, but no Fonda fucking treasure. And she's, she's on a really fertile creative run like she's won two oscars one of only a handful of, of performers who've won uh two oscars mm-hmm. um and she won them for clute as i mentioned uh and her other os she was nominated for they who shoot horses don't they uh the other one she won was for coming home best actress in a leading role for coming home oh that came out the same year as california suite yes which is a play i was in Oh, okay. I played Bill Cosby's character, which I was very honored to do at the time. At the time. No longer. It was fun, though. I got to do a lot of, of physical comedy, lots of pratfalls on stage. It was a lot of fun. That's always nice. That's always a lot of fun when you get to Yeah, and the guy, the guy who played Richard Pryor's character was... He was really... He was a very physical dude. So, like, he was able to, like, I don't know, give me the kind of momentum I needed when we were, like, fake fighting Mm -hmm. to really sell the pratfalls. Nice. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I like um, that play. For some reason, when you said California Sweet, I thought of California Split, the Robert Altman movie with Elliot Gould. Yeah. No, that's different. And George Seagal. <laughs> uh, very, very different thing. So, yeah. But yeah, man, like, um, fuck Jane Fonda, so great. Yeah, dude, love um, her. Yeah, man. But Barbarella, like, again, just schlocky, cheesy. This feels like the kind of movie they would have made in the late seventies, early eighties to try to cash in on the Star Wars craze. Mm-hmm. Instead oh, I mean, of like something they made like this, in, but. I mean, like, I got some major Flash Gordon vibes off of this thing. Now, granted, De, De Laurentiis was producer on both. Yeah. But, like, I was getting some major Flash Gordon vibes on this. Good old Dino. Good old Dino. I mean, we've we've covered a fair few De, De Laurentiis films on this podcast so far. It's hard um, to live a life without, like, walking through some Dino. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, it's very difficult. He's, he was a prolific producer. He really was. 60s, and de- 70s, and 80s, and 90s, even. Yeah. He was putting shit out that was blowing people's minds. I mean, his last producer credit, just, just take a guess as to when his last producer credit was. I don't know, but didn't he Didn't he produce uh, Silence of the Lambs? He did. And uh, Manhunter he, as well, I believe. Manhunter. And, but because of Manhunter, he was grandfathered in for the rest of them. So he's also credited as a producer on Hannibal, Red Dragon, and Hannibal Rising. He, In fact, oh, nice. Hannibal Rising is one of three films that he is credited on in 2007. Those are his last credits. 2007. He dies in 2010. Nice. Yeah. So, like, he's still getting producer, executive producer credits on shit, like, three years before his death just prolific as fuck in the production department. He's one of those guys that like, I put him up there with like 
Roger Corman in that he's one of those guys who would give chances to directors that would go on to be really big, mm-hmm. like really, really huge. Um, but he also was like very much like a penny pincher. A lot of his movies look fairly cheap, even if they're awesome. They still kind of have that cheap look to them, um, like a lot of Corman's films did, because he was always concerned about doing it as cheaply and as quickly as possible. We're using sets, we're using costumes, we're using actors, stuff like that to try to get the most bang for his buck. Well, because Corman is a businessman who mm-hmm. loves art. Yeah. And that's, uh, boy, he's really good at it. There's a lot of those B-movie producers that are just really good at finding really good talent, but like being really serious about, hey, this this is your budget and you've got four weeks. Yeah. I'll see you in fucking four weeks. And that that is that's that is like it has to have this in it. It has to have this in it. It has to have this in, in it. Outside of that, I don't give a shit. Make the movie. And that's like I mean, that that's guy how, in, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say that's how Coppola made his first movie, Dementia yeah. 13, Dementia for, 13 for, yeah. for Corm. It was literally there were like there was like two weeks, like filming wrapped early on the previous movie, and so they had two weeks. And so he turns to Coppola is like, You got anything you want to make? You got this cast, you got this location, you got two weeks, make it happen. Oh, yeah. Like if you want to see the main locations from Dementia 13 again, just watch the undead. Yeah. Because most like the all the sets, I believe, in that movie are from The Undead. Like, they had just think, wrapped up on that. And... Yeah, and Coppola was, like, like second unit director or something on that. And he's like, you want to make a film? You want to make a picture? Go for it. Yeah, dude. You got you got these people. You got you got this set, this location. And he makes what is what I think is a pretty serviceable proto-slasher mm-hmm. in, in Dimension yeah. 13. Like, it's nothing to write home about, but it has a lot of those themes that would come to define Coppola's work, like family and um secrets and things like like it's all it's all there in his first film and i think that's i think that's what makes an auteur is you can start to see the seeds of the filmmaker they would become even in the first film um and i mean i don't know enough about the work of roger vadim to say whether or not he is a an auteur or not but he seems to be kind of playing in the in the sexploitation sandbox quite a bit um in such a wholesome way in this movie though is that just me but like is this the sexiest most wholesome movie you've ever seen it feels like it like the it 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 feels both liberating and because but but at the same time like it's very like barbarella is kind of an innocent but then the male gaze is like so strong in this movie like this might as well be called male gaze, the movie, <laughs> the movie. Um, yeah, because I mean, like we're everyone is kind of leering at Barbarella and we are too. like mm. guilty as charged. I, I am. I am also leering at Barbarella. But to be fair, mm-hmm. um, there are a lot. It's not just lady flesh. You see a lot of in this movie. Correct. With like the Pygar's exception got his of shirt off the whole time. I would say with the exception of Duran Durand, like everybody's just kind of the, it must be really hot wherever they are because yeah. like, except that first guy who's like, Oh, well we could make love. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, if there's anything I can do for you, he's like, well, now that you mentioned it, you're pretty hot. Let's fuck. And she's like, why would you want to do that? And he's like, you asked me what I wanted. This is what I want. She's like, all right, well here, take this pill. 
And he's like, I don't know anything about this. He's like, there's the bed. Let's do this the old fashioned way. And she's like, well, no, people haven't done that in hundreds of years. It's very distracting. And then, and here's, here's my favorite thing about Barbarella Tucker. At the beginning of this movie, she has her own theme song, which I want to get to. I want to come back to that in a second. She's got her own theme song with its own like lyrics about how Barbarella is great. But then every time that she has an orgasm in this movie, she hums her own theme music. She's like just sitting there just humming her own theme music, just like in postcoital ecstasy. Yeah, dude. I mean, I would too if I had a theme um, song. And, uh, right? <laughs> so, so we, we in the what are we watching segment that's coming out Sunday for our patrons, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod, um, you and I discussed the kind of the Muzak, the, like the very 60s kind of Muzak y score for this film um but again as as i said this movie's got a an opening song and this used to happen a lot in movies it has an opening song that like is about the main character of the movie um when is the last time that happened because that used to be something that happened a lot in movies and it hasn't really happened in a while when's the last time you remember that happening hmm i mean you've got you've got because i have like one in wild, my wild head that i'm thinking and of. men in black like that's that's the one I'm thinking of is Wild Wild West in 99. Was that the last like time that, that happened? Like the last time. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think Will Smith was the last guy that could pull that off. But, yeah, that hasn't happened in a long time. No. Where there's just been a song about the movie in the movie. Mm-hmm. Or in this case, in the in, in the case of Wild Wild West in the yeah. closing credits. Wild Wild West future episode of this podcast, by the way. Yes, I can't wait. Wiki Wiki Wild Wild West, Jim West, Desperado, Rough Rider, No You Don't Want Nada, None of This Sucks Gunnerness, Mother Runnerness, Buffalo Soldier, Look It's Like I Told You. Any damsel that's in distress, be out of that dress when she meet Jim West. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that was, I was, I mean, what, I was I was a kid in the 90s, what do you want from me? <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And of course, it was just what we did, listen. we memorized Will Smith lyrics. You were allowed to listen to Will Smith because he was the guy who didn't curse. Right. He well, he well, was the fre- he was the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. What your parents didn't know was in the record home base. That's the one that has summertime. Mm-hmm. Summer, summer, summertime. The Fresh Prince has one song where he lets it rip, dude. Yeah, it's called "You Saw My Blinker," mm. and it's a song about getting into a car accident and having to go to court for it to contest whose fault it was. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that's the, ripped from the pages of his own life, but sure. Uh, so the chorus simply is, you saw my blinker, bitch. <laughs> and he says, he, sure. he says ass, which like the most you ever got out of the Fresh Prince was hell. He'd have mm-hmm. a hell and maybe a damn. Right. Just every once in a while. Those are very, you know, very non-offensive. You get a couple of those in there, whatever. You you see you those know? on primetime sitcoms in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. But he's saying shit and ass and and at the, there's one lyric where he's talking about he's in court and he's getting smart with the the judge and he says the the bailiff grabbed me, slammed me on the ground. Judge said, Boy, you better calm down. Aren't you one of them damn rap singers? Yeah, 
and then I gave him the finger. He's so tough in this song. You got to hear it, dude. It's great. I love it. It's amazing that Will Smith went from the rapper who doesn't cuss to get my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Well, people who were paying attention saw him in Bad Boys and there's it's he's like every other word is, is the F word in that. Why did I say the F word? I, it's the F word, Stephen. <laughs> the F word. Gosh, fucking darn it, Stephen. <laughs> He liked to say the F word. He liked to say the F word a lot. Yeah, dude. Yeah, man. Will Smith, man. Get his wife's name out your fucking mouth. My man. My man. Barbarella. Yeah, dude. Yeah, man. Should we talk about the plot, you think? Let's let's probably do the plot. Yeah. So this is the segment of the show we call the plot in 60 seconds. This is where one of us at the behest of the Canadian quarter of indifference, uh, which Tucker will give a flip here momentarily. I will call it in the air and we will decide which of us will be recounting the plot of 1968's Barbarella in 60 seconds or less. Tucker, give that a flipperino. And you're going to call it in the air, eh? I am, eh? Okay, here we go. And let's call heads. It is tails. Fuck me running. Okay. I'm so glad because I don't really know what happens. in This This is such a vignette movie that plot is almost an afterthought. I'm going to stick to the main plot of this movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. uh, So you go ahead and put 60 seconds on the clock. Yeah. Give me Uh, the 30 and 10 second warnings and I will go ahead and recount the plot of Barbarella. Wowzers. Okay. Uh so we're doing dun, dun, one. Oh, that that is a minute right there. Okay, go, Steven. Oh shit. Um, so uh it's the forty something hundreds, four thousand AD, and Barbarella is an earth woman in space and um like just she's naked all the time and no one cares and because sex is not really a thing that happens except she crash lands on a planet in exchange for helping her fix her ship the dude wants to have sex and so she has sex for the first time and finds out it's really awesome uh so she she gets off the planet and goes to another planet and meets um an angel dude and has sex with him to get him to fly and so he flies she 30 seconds uh, she's trying to find this guy named Duran Duran who's hungry like the wolf for causing some mass destruction. So she gets to the other planet. The angel guy flies her into the city. She meets the tyrant queen of uh, the world. And uh, it turns out that Duran Duran is actually her concierge. And he has a plan to kill her and take over the planet with his positronic ray. Uh, except that Barbarella and the queen team seconds. up. And release the monster that defeats on evil and it destroys the planet except for Barbarella, the angel, and the queen who fly off to live another day. The end. Your time is over. Well done. Thank you. There's also a bunch of ladies sitting around smoking hookah with like a dude like in the hookah pipe. They're just just like crawling around. They're just smoking a dude. They're like essence of man. Check it out. Essence of dude essence of dude like and just barbarella just like he's totally gonna return to that planet where the the hair with a weirdly hairy dude is except he's only hairy from like here down like just like his, <laughs> he's so hairy it's but it's it's clearly fake hair like because yes. it, it like starts at his collarbone and just goes straight down mm. like nothing on his shoulders nothing on his back it's just like from his collarbone down but yeah well the type of dude that he is though i feel like he would kind of have to be that hairy 
That's why I mean, they did that, sure. I think, because he's kind sure. of a burly dude. Yeah. Burly um, we should also point out this is the first ever speaking role for uh, like famed French mime Marcel Marceau. And you plays... wouldn't know it because he's fantastic. No, he's so good. Like, and to hear him talk about it, like he really enjoyed it, but it was difficult for him. He's like, I didn't have trouble learning the lines. It was just redirecting my form of expression from, or here's the quote. Um, he said, uh, I did not forget the lines, but I have trouble organizing them. It's a different way of making what's inside come out. It goes from the brain to the vocal cords and not directly to the body, which is such a interesting way of thinking about that. Like being as his preferred method of performance is totally physical. Like the verbal aspect has got to be a completely new way of doing it, but he fucking kills it. He's so good. Mm -hmm. He is good. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I am, was really afraid that when I heard professor ping, we were going to get like some really gross yellow face and they avoid that mercifully. They avoid that. So he's just, he's just a dude. He's got a little, thing uh mm -hmm. like a what do you call that not a microscope but like um what the detectives have magnifying um, glass like a magnifying glass but he puts it on his forehead mm -hmm. not in his eye no not at all because so i don't that know would what's going sense. on there but i don't know it's just but I, I again it's the production design and the world building of this thing is so well realized and so interesting wacky it's it's, just it's wacky. wild, like the Very the wacky. the planet with the creepy kids, yeah. uh, like where she meets the big hairy dude, um, like those the, dolls. Man, that that takes a turn there for a minute. You're like, Whoa, hold on, everybody, calm down. This <laughs> movie is fucking insane, and it's again, it's like it, it's almost like an anthology film, in which Barbarella is just like the character that pops from like anthology to anthology. Like she's just having all these wacky adventures. Like you the can adventures absolutely, of Barbarella. Exactly. You can absolutely see how this thing would be very easy to sequelize. And it, it feels like they're taking like several conceits or like stories from the comics and just like putting them like smashing a bunch of them together and calling it a movie, um, which is kind of interesting like it the way that it and i've not actually read any of the barbarella comics but apparently Me like neither pygar and professor ping are both characters from the comics um as is the the black queen um like they've they've got several and there are probably several other characters that would have shown up in any sequels that they made and to be clear De Laurentiis wanted to make a sequel to this movie. Oh yeah, who wouldn't? Like they were, they were ready to do it. Like it was. It didn't, it, and it's not even that this go. movie made money because it really didn't. But like they, they were also in the the concept that do you know about the concept that they had. Uh no, I do not. It was called Barbarella Goes Down. Oh, I do know that title. Yeah. And it was supposed to be like a set of wacky underwater adventures with Barbarella. Oh, that would have been fun. Visually. That would have been fun. Yeah. There, there could have been some cool stuff. And one idea De Laurentiis had was to have it star Fonda's daughter, who was born the year this movie came out, which is well, weird. Well, no, that's see, you're, you're getting confused there because that was the story that he wanted to go with directly after the first one was made. But when they were trying to do the sequel in the nineties, 
Oh, okay. They wanted Bridget Fonda. Well, that's not Fonda's daughter, though. That's that's Peter's daughter, not Jane's. Well, then who are you talking about? Her daughter, Vanessa. Vanessa Vadim. Oh, yeah. I don't know who that is. That's that's her daughter with Roger Vadim. Yeah, but probably Bridget Fonda, though. I mean, that would have made more sense in the 90s, for sure. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, in 90s, they, they were like, let's let's, re, let's revamp it. Um, but yeah, it never... I mean, Drew Barrymore no, was attached at one point, I think. Uh, in the 2000s, so like they were going to do it with Rose McGowan. They were going to do a remake with Rose McGowan. Robert Rodriguez was supposed to direct it. Um, and it would have starred Rose McGowan as Barbarella. But Universal, when, when he's like, I need 80, 80 million to do it, Universal was like, mm, we're good. Peace out. And so he found another company that would do it, but they would have like, it would have required a lot of time away from his family because they were in Germany. They would have mm-hmm. given him 70 million. And he's like, ah, no, thanks. And so it just kind of like right. fell apart after that. But yeah. He's and then Robbie they've Rodriguez. been talking about he's a hometown boy. He is. They've been talking about doing a, uh, a TV series uh, since 2012. So. And I mean, they're still talking about it. Like Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria is supposed to be attached oh as Barbarella, which she'd be great. Uh, I I just I don't know. I like this movie, but I, it kind of feels like lightning in a bottle. You know, I it, don't think. And it's one of those and, things I don't know how well it's going to hold up today because I mean, we we now live in the society where people are just opposed to sex scenes in movies, just full stop. Like people, there there are legitimately people who say sex has no place in film. To which well, I say, I, get know, the I've, fuck out of here! That's insane. Well, I've I've to a certain extent, I've I've I'm not going to say that sex doesn't have a place in film, but I think all too often, um, sometimes a sex scene can ruin the tone of a film. Like there's some movies like The Hustler, like if they made the hustler today you'd probably get like a full-on sex scene and it just wouldn't it just wouldn't work but i mean i would say i would say the majority of the time all you have to do is imply it there are some situations where i think within the context of the film a a actual sex scene and sometimes a rather graphic one is necessary and fits the plot but most of the time when you get those kind of sex scenes they don't need to fucking be there most of the time I think that is a fault of the filmmaker rather than anything else. like the, the, the screenwriter, the filmmaker needing to understand. And I mean, I just got done listening to the, you must remember this series on the erotic nineties. Karina Longworth did this like two year series on the erotic films of the eighties and the nineties, which Shit is like wild things. And yes. Basic instinct. Mm-hmm. And the striptease. Strip Jade, Showgirls, 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 yes, like uh, all of was Poison Ivy mm-hmm. with little Alicia Silverstone. Mm-hmm. And the Poison Ivy that was Drew Barrymore. Same thing. Um, but like it's that like the erotic thriller used to be a thing. Like sex used to be a part of films, and ever since the 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 really. I think the one that killed it was Eyes Wide Shut kind of killed the erotic thriller. And I fucking love Eyes Wide Shut. I I absolutely stand that movie. It is amazing. It's a fucking phenomenal film. Um, 
but like that that is the last film that really was allowed to be an erotic movie and then once once 911 hits and the kind of the wave of american patriotism followed by the wave of american conservatism that's kind of had a yeah. chokehold on society for the last 20 years it just doesn't happen anymore like that's just not a thing that exists in movies it still happens but like it it's an outlier when it does mm-hmm. that that's not like there aren't movies specifically with like sex as a backbone and i think the pro- proliferation of internet porn probably has a lot to do with that too yeah it's not honest. it's not taboo anymore mm-hmm. you can see anything like that because like that's what a good sex scene is and and like i say my stance is i'm not against sex in films but i think 90 percent of the time it's not necessary but like when it is necessary and it does service the story, like titillation is part of that. It, yeah, necessarily. Way fucking part of that. Yeah. You're supposed to be a little like, oh, well, <laughs> oh, well, I never, you know? Right. You're supposed to get uncomfortable when you watch it with your mom, you know? Exactly. And you should be watching that with your mom. Probably. Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, that's a family film. That's a My family that's watches a, it every that's year. Fucking, that's a fucking Christmas movie, Eyes Wide Shut. Gra- Grandma drives up from Arlington to watch it with us. It's amazing. Hell yeah. But I mean, that that is like, but and again, I like put normalized sex in movies. That's That's what I say. But like, and I mean, nowadays, that kind of stuff is limited to like prestige TV shit like Euphoria. Um, you can have sex scenes in there, uh, you know, nudity in like stuff like Big Little Lies or what have you. Like well, you, me, you can get some of that there, but it, it's almost never in movies because the only movies that get made are PG-13 blockbusters. And there's but, no room for nudity in those. There's no room for any kind of romance whatsoever in those most of the time. I think I think for me, how they've really shot themselves in the foot with this is that everybody's so against it that now like you have to have a show like Euphoria that is like 90 percent sex scenes and for me a good a good sex scene you know it's, serves fairness, its purpose it's 90 percent it, drug use and 10 percent sex scenes it can it can really slow a narrative down if you don't use it right like it can really slow a narrative down especially like we said before like there's no real titillation anymore so like you don't even have that you're just yawning through that shit most modern movies that have sex scenes or tv shows I'm just like, oh, well, I'm going to be bored for at least 30 seconds. Let's see what's going on on my phone. Like, I'm not uncomfortable. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. I'm not a prude. I just, it's boring. It's boring most of the time, I think. And see, I think it depends on the context, but also. Well, yeah, like I like, say, when it's done right, fuck yeah, I'm into it. But 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 I'm also not, I, again, I it, it happens so rarely anymore that I just want to see it at all like i I don't care how well it's used but i mean you you say it like slows the movie to a crawl like movies are four hours long these days like and movies could stand to be shorter so like well if if a sex scene is what's slowing down the movie as opposed to like needless dialogue sure it can affect the pacing for sure i not in this movie this movie everything else affects the pacing (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely it is the they have the opposite problem yeah and and in fairness um, there's no real sex 
in this movie. It's all implied and off screen. And again, usually cut away and then cut back to Jane Fonda humming her own theme song. Like that's typically how the sex scenes in this movie work. You do get a lot of Jane Fonda naked, but you don't really have any sex scenes outside of the excessive machine. You know what sets the bar for sex scenes for me? What's that? Have you seen an officer and a gentleman, Stephen? Mm-mm, I have not. I've heard With of Lewis it. Gossett Jr. and Richard Gere. Deborah Winger, right? Yeah, and the guy who plays the detective on the TV remake of Carrie. Um, that movie mm-hmm. is the kind of movie that the sex scenes service the story. They're done in a very realistic way. And I mean, it, it's it's kind of part of the I don't want to say the heart of the film, but it's part of the emotional throughway of the film, like the emotional vein of the film that's going through that movie lives and dies in those sex scenes. Mm. And that, that that's what I, I mean, like a, a sex scene here and there, whatever. But if you're not doing it an officer in a gentleman way, if it's not servicing the story, if it's not making me feel something outside of being bored, like I'm not interested. And I am of a mind that, you know, um, now and since the beginning of time, 90%, well, I won't say 75% of sex scenes are just there to be there. And they're boring and stupid, and who gives a shit? I'm saying I'm not against it. I'm just, I'm a purist. <laughs> so when it comes to sex scenes, I'm a fucking I purist. Guess. Yeah. Like, I guess, <laughs> man. I, and I'm not that precious about it, so. Well, and yeah. it depends on the type of movie, too. I'll watch a slasher. Yeah, everybody fuck. That's great. Like, that's part of the whole, that's part of the whole thing. That's another thing. Like, that's used well. Slasher mm-hmm. movies, that's part of it. If I don't see and some that, people fucking, I'm going to be mad. That's always been a part of the slasher formula, though. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. I mean, and again, that's part of the, and we, we talked about this on our um, uh, our first uh, My Bloody Valentine episode uh, mm-hmm. when Mike Snoonian came in you moon, many moons ago to talk about um, that, that original movie. That is like, episode. yeah, it was. I thought so, too. Um, but you know, when you're a teenager and in, in growing up around that time, a horror movie is a, a, a cheap date that you can go to, uh, and you can, you can see some, some nudity and you can like see some people that it's, it's a transgress. It was in and of itself, a transgressive act mm-hmm. and, and, and its own kind of act of rebellion. Um, and yeah, it's part of the formula. It's baked into the cake of the thing. Even in something like My Bloody Valentine, where there's not a lot of nudity, like there's outside of the opening scene, I don't think there's any, but like sex is still baked into the cake of the thing. Like Halloween, I think one character takes her shirt off, but you know, the others are flirting and sexing and smoking pot and all sorts of shit. Like Friday the 13th, everyone's fucking in Friday the 13th. Like that's just what I mean, but that becomes Friday the 13th kind of learns the wrong lessons from Halloween and then takes those to their to their extreme and that becomes the norm of the genre well it, it pretty much gives you everything that halloween held back on mm-hmm. and for for reasons of tone and pacing you know right. and the kind of movie that it was friday the 13th was like well we're not that artsy fartsy we're you know we're and just I... gonna fucking show a bunch of naked people and they're all gonna get killed very graphically and it's gonna be wonderful 
and I think one someone involved with that movie, I think it might have been Sean Cunningham, was like a porn producer. So like that was kind of what he knew. And so this was kind of his shot at legitimacy. And he took it and made a mint. Sean Cunningham is an interesting dude. Uh, Take a look at his filmography when you get a chance, because you can't pin that boy down. He does everything. Like, people are like, oh, Sean Cunningham, fucking Friday the 13th. Uh, Yeah, but he's just a normal movie producer. He does not give favor to horror. Mm -hmm. Like, he just does whatever's clever, you know? He did, um, he produced... um, Bob Balaban's second directorial effort, uh, My Boyfriend's Back. You do love you some Bob Balaban. I do love those first two films that he made. I really, really do. Uh, but I mean, he also was the producer of the original Wes Craven, Last House on the Left. Um, all of the House movies, all of the Friday the 13th movies, future episode of this podcast, Deep Star Six. Yeah. Um, like, he's got quite a resume on him in terms of uh in terms of being a producer so yeah i mean dude has uh dude has a history and good for him man yeah dude he's a writer too you know he does some writing yeah it's you know again don't don't pin him down he's vast Um, he contains multitudes and that's okay he's just he's just a dude making movies man Mm mm-hmm just a dude, but he didn't make this movie. No, sure didn't. No, Did this not is make Barbarella. Roger Vadim made this movie. Bordino, Bordino produced this one. Yeah, my Dino, and this is the third Dino De Laurentiis sci-fi movie that we've discussed on this podcast. Well, and the first was... one we've actually not had a guest for. We've actually done Dune with our oh, friend yeah, Hope yeah. Lichner, the, the David the epic... Lynch one. That was Dino De Laurentiis. Yeah, that fuck was yeah. Dino. Uh, and Flash Gordon, which we talked about with oh, our yeah. friend James McCormick, um, that was too. also another that was another Dino sci-fi film. So this is kind of the third Dino De Laurentiis sci-fi movie, our unofficial Dino De Laurentiis sci-fi trilogy on this podcast, and this is his earliest one of those. So I I just thought that was kind of cool. I was looking at some of the other stuff that he was involved with, and I'm like, we've covered some of these. This is awesome. So yeah. Uh, And, you know, to fans of the podcast, which tend to overwhelmingly be horror fans, uh, Mm -hmm. he also probably because we come from like a lot of people come to us from Pod and the Pendulum. So, hey, thank you. He produced Evil Dead 2 and Army Army of Darkness. Darkness. Correct. Which uh, I would argue are the two best films in that franchise. But Mm. you look. All three of them are so different. I love them equally. Here's I the thing. Really I love them all, but not equally. I don't because Evil Dead is so different than the other two, man. It's I know it's not silly. It's fucked up and I know awful and I love it. And I'm again I'm not saying I don't enjoy it. I do. I just I don't enjoy it. It, it doesn't hit me as 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 much as the other two do. Well, for me, they all hit the same, just in different ways. And that's what I think is beautiful about that trilogy. Like I was saying earlier about the cardigans, mm-hmm. like that trilogy, it's three different movies in the same franchise, you know, yeah. three completely that, different genres, honestly. Right. And I mean, and then you get the other films in that franchise that kind of go back and, and try to do what the first one was doing. But like, that's well, that's, that, that's 
you've got that, but you've got Ash versus Evil Dead, which scratches the Evil Dead mm. Two Army of Darkness kind of tone. Yeah, you know, although it's not able kinda... to, it's not allowed to reference Army of Darkness because of rights issues. But yes, but we all know what happened. Yeah, for some reason, you know, for some people, including our good friend Brett Wright, that uh, that that's a non-starter is not not being able to reference Army of Darkness because our our boys big on on lore and continuity apparently. So I understand that, but that show. Um, for what it was, was pretty damn special. No, it was fun. It was fun as hell. I loved it. Um, and I loved the way that they when ended he, it. When he came out that dude's butt that one time, mm-hmm. holy, holy shit. Yeah. Literal get, shit. Yes. And came get, right get, out that dude's butt. You get Ted Raimi in there. <laughs> yes. You get fucking get Puppet Ash. Fucking Puppet Ash is great. Ashy Slashy. Ashy Slashy, yeah. Y- you love it. You love to see it. You really do. I like, love I love the two new main characters, too, as little sidekick people. I mm-hmm. love what they add to it, plus, like, how they both kind of weave in and out of possession, you know, and I, I, like, I like those characters a lot. I'd really, I'd love to have, I would love for stars to do a, just a TV movie special of an Ash versus Evil Dead TV movie special. I just want I just want to know what happened to what's his nuts and homegirl. I just want more of them. Just like wrap their shit up. Well, maybe they'll show up in one of the one of the upcoming movies if if they keep doing more Evil Dead movies. Maybe they'll show up in one of those. That would be nice. They uh their likenesses and voices were used in the Evil Dead game that came out recently. They are I playable characters in that. I heard they also brought in our girl from the uh, the first Evil Dead remake for our previous episode on that. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. Which Everybody's that was there. that was all I wanted was was for them to for them to bring her in, and I'm glad they did. But I never played that game because Dead by Dawn exists. Mm. Do you know about this, Steven? You heard about this? You seen this? You heard about this? Dead by Dawn? Yeah, I, I'm familiar. Yeah. So, uh, but but the whole thing about Dead by Dawn is Dead by Dawn happens, right? And after they license all every character you could think of from any Mm -hmm. franchise that you could possibly think of. Right. Every character, uh, every horror franchise after that goes and makes their own dead by daylight game. Right. Exact same game. Just focused on that franchise. You've got Friday the 13th, the game, which is the same thing. You can either play as Jason or the survivors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Evil Dead, the game, which is the same thing. You can either play as the good guys or deadites. And now we're about to have, well, we just got Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the game, which is the exact fucking same thing. Mm-hmm. And guess what's next, Steven? Guess what's next? Nightmare on Elm Street? Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, I would never have guessed that, but that's awesome. I'm actually kind of interested in that one. <laughs> just because it's fucking Killer Clowns, dude. Future episode of this podcast, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Future PG film, which also, speaking of PG films, to bring it back to Barbarella, um, when this was re-released on VHS, it was uh, rated PG. And that's when I saw it on HBO, uh, Mm. because back in those days, you had to look in the newspaper for the TV schedule, much like your movie times. And... On the newspaper, it said Barbarella was PG. Mm-hmm. And after that first scene, I was like, Pete, how, how the fuck is this PG? There's titties everywhere, man. What's going on? That's the, that Come is on, a man. weird thing, is that you used to be able to show titties in a PG-13 movie. Or in now, a PG something, movie. Something that has not been confirmed, 
uh, in any official capacity, but something I heard before the internet, which is how you learn things. People told you things or you read it in a book sure, sure. Um, <laughs> was that how they got away with that is, well, no, that doesn't make sense because she's not an alien. No, because, she's you from know, Earth. a lot of species didn't get an X because like she's an alien mm -hmm. technically. Sure. Which is stupid. The MPA is so fucking stupid. Did you ever see that movie um, that was about the MPA, that documentary? I think it's called, uh, fuck, is it called the F word? I don't think I have. No, it sounds interesting, though. I would check it out. No, that's not it. What the fuck was that called? I have to look it up because it's amazing because, like, it's kind, it's kind of a sketchy organization. This film is. is not yet rated, is what it's called. Oh, I have heard of it. it that was an IFC documentary, right? Yes, it was. Oh, yes, it was. Okay, I'm familiar with it. I've not actually seen it, though. Uh, I'm going to check Just Watch here because you need to look at it. Like, I wouldn't put it all the way on top of your list, but, like, priority is, like, Code Orange probably on that one. Okay. It's really good. Like... It's a great like documentary, but also it's kind of investigative journalism. Um, okay, and it gets it gets a little wild, man. Like I said, they're shady as fuck, dude. Oh, for sure. No, absolutely. Shady as fuck. I don't see it anywhere streaming. I'll find it at some point, and I'll I'll send you a link or whatever. Okay. Anybody who that sounds interested to that's listening right now. Um, it has my recommendation. It's it's great. It's a wonderful watch. It's a well made documentary, and it's interesting. So, right on. No, I'm I'm super interested in that actually. So, yeah, I would absolutely check that out. Yeah, dude. It's not on YouTube. That sucks. I'll find it. You will. I, if anyone can find it, it's you. It's me. I'm the guy. I find stuff. It's you. Hi, you're the problem. It's you. Hi, I'm the guy. It's me. I'm the dude. Uh, so what else? What else we got to say about this movie, Stephen? I don't know, man. I just I, I dig the aesthetic of it. Like there are things that I don't like that kind of fall a little flat. Like, again, the pacing's kind of rough. Like, it, as you mentioned at the top, it it gets kind of boring in places. The the lasciviousness with which everyone treats Barbarella gets kind of a little tiresome toward the end. Like every every guy that sees her wants to fuck her, which I mean, I mean, I get it. it's Jane Fonda. She's Fair. gorgeous. But like narratively, that's kind of boring. Um, uh, if I do. It I Jane do. Fonda would be boring. I mean, just mm. the way her character is written and the way she reacts to it. That's that's kind of the thing that sort of like puts out the fire of this movie. This movie could be on fire. But what puts it out is she's just she's just so sweet and wholesome about it. Like these dudes are like, oh, you want to fuck? And she's like, yeah, actually, I do. Let's can we go do that right now? And then like, when we could she do that actually when she actually fucks for the first time, she's like, oh, this is great. This is what, rad. And I like what a, this. Let's, let's what a wonderful thing we've just done. Yeah, um, exactly. Let's. And in fact, she gets really upset with the character named <clears throat> Dildano. Um, when he suggests that they do it the regular way, dude, dildo's in his, his name. His name is dildo dildano, but yeah, 
he's, um, he's in a lot of shit too, man. Check out that guy's filmography. Holy! Oh crap. my god! Yeah, like this. There's some some pretty solid performers in here. Um, let me see. We've got so uh, initially before Jane Fonda, Vadim approached his ex-wife Bridget Bardot. Uh, she didn't want to do another sexualized role, uh, which I don't blame her. And Sophia Loren, who was pregnant, uh, so she couldn't really take the role. Um, most of the rest of the cast were um, recommended by someone involved with the production. I think Fonda recommends uh, John Philip Law, who plays Pygar, because uh, mm-hmm. they had worked together. Yeah. Um, and he was a big comics fan, so he like read all the comic books. Uh, before he got into it. Um, Anita Pallenberg was recommended by um, one of the one of the writers, Terry Southern, because uh, they had worked together on the Clockwork Orange. She was uh, then girlfriend of Brian Jones, the uh, member of the Rolling Stones who would die the following year. Uh, one of the early members of the 27 Club. He was the rhythm guitarist for Rolling Stones, the original yes. rhythm guitarist. And he died in a pool, didn't he? Didn't he drown? Yep. Died in a pool in 1969. You want to know how I know that? Um, Because you have the internet? Uh, Well, he uh, there's an analog of that character in uh, a chapter of Alan Moore's third volume of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen uh, called League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Century. And the the second the second of three parts of that takes place in 1969, and it begins with the death of the Brian Jones analog. Yo, I um, thought I had I thought I had read all the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen shit. So I, that doesn't sound familiar. When did that come out? Uh, volume three. Um, I mean, have you? Three? I read the second one. Four, dude. Fucking there's what? Four volumes, and there's a fucking Captain Nemo miniseries. Next, you're going to tell me there was a movie made in the early 2000s with Sean Connery. I mean, we don't talk about that. Well, actually, we did talk about did. that. Yeah, you did. We did. We did. Uh, that that's, was that's that's a that's a Van Helsing type movie. I recognize that it's not great, but I just cannot get over how awesome the whole movie looks. And see, that's in that, Brett in that early 2000s, late 90s. Like it really hits that spot, dude. That that's where Brett lands on it. Whereas I, the guy who's read the comics, is like, I can't, I can't sanction this buffoonery. I have to. Like I fucking, <laughs> I fucking love the comics, and they are sacred. But also, yeah, bring on the buffoonery, because holy shit, know- if that production design and that that early CGI is just perfect for that. Can I can I tell you, Tucker, who the main villain is of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Volume Four? Can I tell you who it is? It's not fucking Moriarty again, is it? Nope. He's dead. He oh, died at the end who, of volume one. Who Spoiler is. alert. If you don't want to know about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen volume four, skip ahead five seconds. It's James Bond. I like that. It's like so that good, dude. It's so good. Like Wait, it's the third one awesome. takes place in the sixties though. Who's the, the third one? The third okay. One? So the third one is called century. So the third uh-huh. volume takes place in it right now. The first chapter is 1910, second chapter is 1969, third chapter is 2009. Mm-hmm. So it takes place over oh. the course of 100 years. I like that. And the main villain, I'm not even going to tell you who the main villain of the third part is because it's it's the most fun reveal. Um, okay. But, um, and that actually between volumes two and three, there was a one shot like hardcover release called The Black Dossier. Um, which has like, that one. 
That's I've got a that. shit ton of lore in it. Okay, so you've read that one. So then you mm-hmm. need to read volume three. Then you need to read the Nemo trilogy, which that follows um, Nemo's daughter from the first issue of League volume three. Nemet, um, I believe, is her official name in canon. No, it's it's Captain Nemo still. <laughs> Uh, and the first one of those takes place is that one. The first one is riffing on uh, in the mountains of madness at the mountains of madness. The, um, Oh, nice. Yeah. Fucking the Lovecraft, Lovecraft story. Yeah. Uh, it also references John Carpenter's the thing. Well, what's um, this century 1910? That's the first like volume of that's the first part of volume three. Okay. 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 I see uh, black so dossier. The Nemo trilogy is hearts of ice. Uh, the second one is Roses of Berlin, I think. And that's the one that takes place during World here, War II. Three. Okay. Where they fight Adnoid Hinkle, who's the uh, the character from The Great Dictator, who's the the Hitler analog Hell in League yeah. of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And then the f- fighting Charlie Chaplin. That's hilarious. And then the third one is like, it riffs on like the boys from Brazil and the Stepford Wives uh, you got like some of the creatures from the Black Lagoon in there. Like it's fucking rad as hell, dude. You know who like, I bet has all of these in trade paperback? Me, my brother-in-law, and I'll bet he'd let me borrow them. He probably would. You should you should text him and ask him. But no, I highly recommend everyone go out and read all of Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It starts off as a hey, what if the Victorian era had its own Justice League? And by the end, it's an entire treatise on the modern state of fiction. It's, well, it's such a kind it's of such insane. A, it's such a fun idea. And at the time it was such a unique idea because it's not just like Justice League where you've got DC heroes and they form a team. Mm-hmm. No, these are just like all classic literary characters from mm-hmm. all the way back you've got alan quartermain you've got from out the alan quartermain series you've right. got uh nina harker from fucking dracula mina but yeah uh you've got captain nemo from mm-hmm. you know Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea um uh the invisible man dr jekyll and mr hyde mm-hmm. um dorian motherfucking gray He's not actually in the book. He's not? I could have sworn he was in that. He doesn't show mm-hmm. up for just like a second. There's not even a cameo? There is a painting in the British Museum of a very hideously ugly man. And it's uh, marked as under uh, as uh, under renovation or under restoration. But that is the that, that is, it is a blink and you miss it picture on a might- wall. I, I would I would have noticed it though. That's probably what I'm thinking of. I do know he has a pretty big part in the movie, and that's as much as I love the movie. Um, the two things that they wasted were the characters that they added because it's a great idea to add them. They just fucked it up because Dorian Gray, holy shit, that's amazing. That could have been so rad when they told. And I said I remember mentioning this on our LXG episode. Uh, when Alan Moore found out that they added Dorian Gray, he's like, what's his power being pretty? Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I think you could do something with it, man. And Tom Sawyer, I kind of liked, I, I I don't like how they shoehorned him in. And then he did nothing the entire time, but that's a good idea too. Like in future volumes, like in, in 1910, they add, um, Thomas Carnacki, AJ Raffles, and Orlando. Um, and then in 69, it's just Orlando, Quartermain, and Mina. 
and then at the end of um at the end of the third part of century they add in a few other characters um that i will not mention because that's part of the surprise of the the book is who they add but yeah did i give the full original lineup you did yeah no it's just those five looking at the cover right here yeah yep visible man nemo mina did you think i said nina yeah because i definitely said mina bitch i I was in dracula get out of town i thought you said nina sorry (laughs) my bad i'm i don't know man play it back there are certain groups of people that i'm famous for my rimfield performance (laughs) uh mainly me right and me there are still people who talk about the time I, I played Amos Hart in our Broadway review in college. So is there a video sang, of it? Can I see it? I said there is a video of it. I do not have it. No, you can't see it. Okay. But what if I saw it though? <laughs> I don't want you to see it. Just what if I don't want anyone to see it. Damn it. All right. Well, but no, like I went to like my friend Annika's funeral and like her stepmom was like, oh, it's Mr. Cellophane. And I was like, Hi. oh, yeah, you told me that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like I, my partner and I knew each other in college. So when like when we went to see her parents, her parents are like, we have that video. Let's play it. And I was like, we don't need to do that at all. Yeah. Like did at you, all. Though, did you see all. it? And did you do it anyway, though? Did you look at no, it? No, we, we did not. We uh, did not. Well, they did. They did play a video of my partner singing a duet with one of my friends from college, though. So that was and that was cool, right? Yeah, I'm way into that. Uh, But yeah, Barbarella comes out October 10th or no, I'm sorry, October. No, October 10th. I had it right the first time. October 10th, 1968. uh, It opens. It doesn't open at number one at the box office. Uh, Number one at the box office that weekend is Rachel. Rachel. Uh, but it is uh, by the by the following weekend, the 16th, it is number one at the box office. Of course, I can't find the full box office readout because it's a 60s movie and those anything before 1980 is pretty damn near impossible to find um, to, to find there. It is in terms of the highest grossing films of 1968. It doesn't crack the top 28. I don't think I'm looking here. No, it does not. That movie makes, well, it would have had to have because it definitely made more than Dr. Faustus. Anyway, doesn't matter. The movie makes about $2.5 million on a budget of about nine. Um, so not a big money maker. Again, Dino wanted to make a, um, wanted to make a sequel to it. Um, but ultimately that fell through. Um, but yeah, so I don't have the full box office, unfortunately, um, but it is uh, it, it definitely did not do as well as they wanted it to. Unfortunately, that's too bad. It, it deserves a little more than that. It's kind of a bummer. But yeah, it was number one. It for has two developed weeks. a following, though. I mean, people it love is, this fucking movie. It is. They It definitely it has its own cult following for sure. Let me actually let me check something out here real quick. Let me. Well, you oh no, because you're checking it out. I would need you to look. So, but you're already doing a thing, so that would be silly. Duh. I I was gonna see if I could find the the box office. I'm having a I'm having a rough time finding the box office here. I don't know if you're gonna find it. 
I don't think I am. You're going to try I, real hard, but I think you're going to come up empty-handed. I had a dream. Yeah, well. Yeah, well. Yeah, I would love well. to be able to find it, ma'am. I would love for you to be able to find it, but like I say, I think it's a fool's errand, Stephen. Mm-hmm. You're probably I right. You're, I, think, I don't think you're going to... You're not going to come up with anything, I don't think. And uh, I don't want to have to edit this out, so I'm kind of trying to fill this space. So I wonder how close you are to giving up. I've given up. All right. Nice. All uh, right. So the Tomatometer score on this movie is a 74%. The critics That's consensus, fair. unevenly paced and thoroughly cheesy. Barbarella is nonetheless full of humor, entertaining visuals, and Jane Fonda's sex appeal. Boy, howdy is it ever. Agreed. Uh Metascore on this one is a 51 with mixed or average reviews from 13 critics. And the letterbox score is a 3.2. Tucker, out of five possible stars, how are you rating 1968's Barbarella? I'm going to give it a three stars. I also sorry. Go ahead. I also gave it three stars. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's, a, it's totally a three star movie. Like yeah, top it's, to bottom, it's, solid three stars. It's the epitome of a three star movie. Like it is, yeah. but it that's not a bad thing. It's it's a fucking little gem. Like it's it's a it's a fun little movie. I I like it. Like I had a good time with it. I'm not gonna say. You shouldn't watch this because you totally should. Like, it's fun. It's sexy. It's uh, silly. It's goofy. It's it is it is again. It's thoroughly camp. Like this movie also, is just textbook definition of camp. It's I would also describe it as a midnight movie. So like the mm. more people you see it with, the better. You're gonna have a good time. Yeah, good time. You will. Yeah, it's this is like yeah, this is a movie. This is the kind of movie I think the perfect viewing experience might be like a drive through or a drive in rather. Yeah, like absolutely. a drive-in theater. That would be like what? What would you put as a double bill for this one? Uh, well, if it's right here and right now, it would be CQ. CQ. See what I mean? It's Barbarella without being Barbarella. You see what I, I mean, mean, right? Based you see on that, right? Based only on the cover of that movie that you're showing me. Yeah, I, I, I do, I do get that. I'm picking up. It's those about vibes. the the making of a film that's very similar to Barbarella. Okay. Roman Coppola, dude, get it. Yeah, that would be a good double feature. I would do Barbarella first and then Mm -hmm. CQ. Um, I guess another film that I would put with this that has kind of a similar tone with its camp, even though they're nothing alike. I would put this as a double feature with the return of Captain Invincible, which at the end of this month, you will find out why. Sure. Right on. Well, that's pretty rad. Well, that I think is all we have to say about Barbarella. Um, Look, this is the disenfranchised podcast. And if you're listening to us, first of all, if you're new to this episode, welcome. Hopefully we did Barbarella justice for you. And if not, check out some of our other episodes on, on movies that you like. Maybe we don't do justice to those either. Maybe we do. Who, who knows? Not me. I don't know. Yeah. If you didn't like this episode, just check out more. 
Yeah, exactly. Listen to as, <laughs> listen to as many as it takes before you start to like us. Boy, um, you thought you hated this episode. Just you <laughs> we wait. We got a show for you. It's called <laughs> yeah, Every dude. Other One. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, we we are this franchise podcast. We love doing this. We do this every week. We do it for you because we love you and also because we're friends and we like to talk about movies. Um, but you can find us on social media at disenfranch pod. We are on uh, Instagram letterboxd, Facebook uh, and blue sky at disenfranch pod. Uh, you can shoot us an email on uh, disenfranch pod at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what failed franchise starter you'd like to see us cover. Um, I know friends of the podcast tend to just text me directly. Um, but yeah, you can also head on over to patreon.com. This Sunday, we're going to be dropping patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. This Sunday, we're going to be dropping the episode of uh, What Are We Watching? Where Tucker talks about the cardigans. Uh, so if you want to know what that reference was about, you're going to have to check out that behind the paywall. That's $5 a month. And that gives you access to literal hours, days of days. content behind that paywall. Days. I was actually talking to uh, one of our patrons uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, and he just mentioned offhand that he was not expecting that much behind the paywall. So uh, that's, you know, we, there's a lot there for you to wade through. If you're if you're invested, then there's if, if you've got the money and the time, we've got the shows for you back there behind that paywall. Look, what I what I my motto when I used to be a gigolo was if you've got the dime, I've got the time. And that's the disenfranchised Patreon. If you got mm -hmm. the dime, we got the time. If you got the fiver, we've got we're gonna be divers. We come aliver. Hey, there you go. Yeah, give us not perfect five and bring us alive. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. Give us five and we come alive. Hey, I like that kind of. It could be go. better. We'll work and on it. We, we'll punch it up. We'll workshop it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll kick it. We'll, you know, fly it up the flagpole, see who salutes it anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's so much content. Distant or uh, patreon.com slash distant pod. Uh, and you look while you're out on the internet, if you don't want to give us money, that's fine. We understand. Uh, times are hard, money's tight, we get it. But please, please, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a five star rating. And if you do that, if you would go the extra mile and leave us a review, that would go a long way to helping us find new listeners much like yourselves. And we love you and we'd love to see other people like you uh, find our podcast as well. Uh, so if you would do that, you would have our eternal gratitude. Hey, I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter. No, I'm not on Twitter anymore. Uh, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd and Blue Sky at Chewy Walrus. Uh, you can find our absent co-host Brett Wright at sus underscore warlock on Letterboxd and uh, Instagram or at sus warlock on Blue Sky. Tucker, where can we find you on socials these days? Uh, I, uh, you know, you can find me still on the YouTubes. Um, actually, I'm going to try to do a christmas song uh record and uh release a christmas song this month um because i wrote a tiny bit of a christmas song a couple years ago called christmas spaghetti okay. and is it about mm. the spaghetti that will ferrell's character makes in the movie elf no it's about the spaghetti i make at christmas because spaghetti's rad oh okay. it's my christmas meal i don't give a fuck about no elf 
Man, I don't know if I like that. Actually, a lot of people like that movie. I would I just say, see our, see our previous episode on Elf. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, but, uh, no, this Christmas spaghetti song is about making spaghetti on Christmas. And I started writing it a couple years ago, and I stopped, and then I forgot all about it. And then the other day, I was uh, just, you know, sitting on the can like you do. Um, and going through some of my notes and stuff, and I found those lyrics, and I was like, you know what? Let's punch this up. Let's finish this song. And so I wrote two more verses and called it a day, and now I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to put it right together. On, man. Hell yeah. And it's called Christmas Spaghetti. It's about eating spaghetti on Christmas because spaghetti is rad, and Christmas is rad. I'm just trying to... Just trying to put those two things together, you know? Just two rad things hanging out together in the same space. And also, I've always wanted to do a Christmas song because Christmas music is, I don't want to say it's my favorite kind of music, but it's such a strange and unique genre. I'm very fascinated by Christmas music. Mm -hmm. And I do love a lot of Christmas music also. You do. You've, Um, You've already started listening to Christmas music, have you not? I have. I, I start November 1st, though. I started November 2nd because I was too tired on November 1st to listen to any Christmas music. But I did listen to uh, Merry Christmas from Brenda Lee by Brenda Lee, which is probably my favorite Christmas record. And the next one up is going to be uh, an old old time Christmas by Randy Travis, which is my second favorite Christmas album of all time. And then we'll move on to the Sonny Jameses and the Diana Rosses and the Julie Andrews And uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of Christmas records I'm way into. So okay, even the Bell and Sebastian has a Christmas record, and I'm way into it. It's kind of it's kind of one of those things that everybody does, and they're either either take themselves too seriously and make just this really serious Christmas record or they don't take themselves seriously enough and just kind of do it because everybody else does it. But literally everyone has a Christmas record. Yeah. I've got a Christmas record. Like, watch out, watch out, because one of these days we're going to get a Rob Zombie Christmas record. It's going to happen. Watch. I'm saying it right now. This is my this is my Criswell predicts. Sometime in the near future. We will have a Rob Zombie Christmas record. Sleigh fair. in the back of my Santa sleigh. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, dude. Um, oh boy, it sure does suck that that Monsters movie did not go well for anybody because I, I mean, I, that's gonna suck for Rob Zombie because you know, like he was probably really excited about that. We can we can probably cover it on this podcast if you wanna if you wanna do that. Look, I don't, I don't know, man, because like I like, I don't always like Rob Zombie movies, but I always like the the spirit, like the gung ho spirit he puts into it. Like it really puts a lot into his movies, whether you like them or you don't. Like the man really puts it all out there, you know. He really gives a big fat fucking effort every time mm-hmm. and it shows for good or for ill it fucking shows and yeah, i've so only I seen just, two rob zombie movies up to this point so he's not for everyone like pete holmes he's not for everybody yeah he's, he's i don't you think know? he's for me personally <laughs> certainly yeah. not no um and like i say like i i get why people don't like him and i'm i'm about 50 50 i like about half of his movies 
but I always Fair appreciate enough. the the effort and the love he puts into everyone. Like he's a passionate filmmaker. He's a passionate artist, like all around. Mm-hmm. And so to 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 hear that he's done something like the monsters, especially when you know that's something that he's way into and has been probably since as long as he can remember. Yeah, as far back makes, as he can remember. Kind of makes me sad. Kind of makes me sad. Plus, I also love the monsters. Fucking Fred Gwynn like a motherfucker, dude. Well, and I think that's part of the problem is Fred Gwynn's so good. Like who who can who can compete with Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis? Like and well, Yvonne DiCarlo. Like really. I don't know, Steven. That that's what I'm saying, you know. Sometimes uh like some other shows and, and franchises and stuff, sometimes you just gotta let it die, you know. Like Fred Gwynn himself said famously, uh sometimes dad's better. Uh, uh yep. Sometimes dead is better. I don't want to go down that road. (laughs) Oh, he's perfect Maine, too, because, like, your Maine Mm -hmm. New England accent is not the same as your cousin from Boston. It's not the same. It's not the same. In Maine, they don't take out the garbage. They don't do that. That's not Mm -mm. not how it goes. Mm -mm. Not at all. Nope. Not even a little bit. Where else can we find you on social media, Tucker? YouTube oh, and say, where else? I didn't say what my handle was. I'm on the YouTubes and I'm on the Instagrams. And in both of those places, you can find me at Einstein09. That's I-C-E-N-I-N-E, the number zero and the number nine. Uh, there's also my my famous, world famous Instagram page, Tuck Mugs. Um, yeah, you know, it's 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 kind of a big deal. We're, we're really getting the numbers um it has been a while since we posted but i gotta tell you man i keep i want some guest mugs dude i want some guest mugs get those guest mugs in people you got you got to give them to me because even though it's getting colder i haven't been drinking a whole lot of coffee um so the next mug that you see may be like a super big size mug where i'm having some soup in it or something you know there you go there's your boy like having soup out of mug we had a whole conversation about that with our waitress yeah, at the Lincoln Park uh, or the Lincoln we, Square Pancake House. We sure did. Soup from a mug. Yeah. Ow. But yeah, Tuck that is, uh, underscore mugs. Yes. Go there and follow and comment and like all of the posts. And if you're feeling a little bit frisky, if you're trying to get cheeky with your boy, Send me a guest post, dude. Like, all you got to do is check out the Instagram page. You, the format's very easy. You you look at, like, two or three posts. You'll be like, okay, I get this. And just send me one. And we'll just we'll throw it right up there. We'll give you credit. We'll tag you in it. Like, it's going to be rad. You're, you want to yeah. do it. I know you want to. Absolutely. Like you want to. Steven wants to. Like, hey, Steven, if you got another one, holler at your boy. I'm just saying. I've got so many mugs, dude. Like, you have no idea. I believe you. Totally believe you, dude. Yeah, but that's me well, on the socials. Right on. Oh, so, I posted my first. Um, I posted my first reel the other day on Instagram. Uh, I'd never done that before, but there was a particularly funny section in Alan Wake Two that I had to share with the world. Um, there's a lot of other media in Alan Wake Two, like radio programs you can listen to, TV shows you can watch, like commercials on TV, and. Um, in Alan Wake 2, there are some brothers who own a business and uh, they have a lot of commercials. Like every other time you pass by a TV, one of their commercials is on. And in the commercial, the guy says, hey, do you want to do you want to come drink 
some beers, hang out with some cool guys and drink some beers. And the guy, other guy says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to wear a turtleneck and drink wine like an asshole. And it was just really funny to me. So I had to post that and it's really great. And either that didn't strike a chord. Oh, nope. He is not frozen. There we go. Yeah. That's just general humor, Steven. That's not video game related at all. That's just, that's just humor. Like you've heard of that, right? You heard about this? You've seen this? You heard of this? No, I, I no. It's a foreign concept you seen to this? me. Just like your human emotions. <laughs> I, I have no context. Bleep bloop. What are emotions? What is fun? Why is that human leaking? Um, yeah, no, I don't know. Vote Stephen Foxworthy for human president. I don't know. Um, hey, that is our episode on 1968's Barbarella. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. For my absent co-host, Brett Wright, and my present co-host, Tucker, until next time, we didn't really talk about it, but the main villain of this movie is called Duran Duran, and that really got me thinking that she's Barbarella and she dances out in space. <laughs> <laughs>